Welcome to the Heal and Awaken podcast. I am your host, Aparna, and I thank you for joining me for season five. And I'm excited and delighted to share with you that this entire season, which is 10 episodes, will be focused on Ayurveda for women. And today I want to introduce you to a very amazing special guest. And she's a Shivananda yoga teacher. And um, she leads the well-being center, the Shivananda Ashram yoga retreat in the Bahamas. Her Ayurveda studies with doctors K.P. Khalsa, David Frawley, Robert Svoboda, Claudia Welch, and Vasant Lad have sparked a deep love in her heart for Ayurveda. And she's trained by her teacher and mentor, Ishwari Marianne Johnson. She does beautiful Ayurvedic treatments and marma therapy. And uh, she's also certified in eye rest, yoga nidra, chair yoga, and the luscious yin yoga that I love so much. Um, in the Bahamas, she teaches courses and assists with the Shivananda teacher training courses. I am delighted to introduce you to you, introduce you to Mary Roberts, also known as Padmavati. I love that name. That's her spiritual name. And her book is called What's Possible? Ayurvedic Odyssey, the year yoga changed my life. Is the story of her year-long study in the Bahamas, ashram, and her journey to health and wholeness through yoga and Ayurveda. Welcome, Padmavati. So delighted to have you here with me. Thank you, Aparna. It's, it's a pleasure, and I'm, I feel very, very blessed, to be honest with you. I feel extremely blessed to be with you, to be in your presence, to have met you, and to be able to share in both of our love for Ayurveda, as I know you as well, are, have a deep love for this wonderful science. We do, and um, in that sense, I feel very close to you. I feel like we're spiritual sisters. And, you know, I was reading your book this morning, What's Possible. I love that title. And what I love about your book is, one, it represents the story of most people in the West, perhaps most people everywhere, because everyone wants a Western lifestyle, even in India, you know. <laughs> and so with wanting a Western lifestyle or having a Western lifestyle comes certain disadvantages to our well-being, our health, our emotional state. And as I was reading your book, I recognized that your description of your life before yoga and Ayurveda, before you went to the ashram, is really the story of all of us. And that's what's so great because when somebody reads this book, which I recommend everyone should read this book, it, we're all going to be able to relate to it and recognize, oh my gosh, my sleep was poor or is poor, my digestion, my elimination, my feeling of well-being, my heart feels so closed off. I'm constantly bombarded by the external stimulus that's coming at me and the things that I'm doing in the world. So um, 
I also love that your book has the journal entries that you wrote that's included in there. So it gives the reader a very personal glimpse of what you were feeling and writing and going through as you were, you know, as you shared it in your book. So is it appropriate for me to call this a one year experiment in yoga and Ayurveda or, or is it much more than that? Would you share with us how you came to this one year journey at the ashram? Um, sure. And yes, definitely it's appropriate to call it a one year experiment and journey in Ayurveda and yoga. Um, but yes, it's also much more than that. Um, because I think for, for those who are listeners who haven't read the book yet, um, I did prior to this, I had led the International Trade Division for the state of Illinois. I was a director. I oversaw 10 offices overseas and a couple of offices, one in Chicago and one in Springfield. I led more than 80 people um, when I was a director, multi-million dollar uh, budget. Uh, then I oversaw all the website development for the entire state of Illinois, the government agencies. And um, after leaving those positions, so that's a little bit of the progression. After leaving those positions, I then um, was doing some life coaching and spending a little more time um, initially in yoga a couple times a week at my local studio. And I think that opened me up for the possibility of going um, to the Bahamas for this, the one week that I went as a guest. I went as a guest to a yoga retreat because a friend sent me an email and suggested that I go. And so um, going for that one week's time, I was just there in my Lululemon outfit and um, I was thinking I was like pretty grand at, at yoga because I'm fairly flexible and, um, you know, I'm, I'm very pitta, and so I have uh, definitely um, that competitive spirit in me. So, you know, I was all about being there for every single activity that was possible. It was the same time there was an Ayurveda conference as well, and I had only learned the word Ayurveda just like months before. I had never even heard of Ayurveda, um, but I was really intrigued by it because it was a way of looking at human beings as individuals instead of take a take an aspirin and it's going to kill or it's going to cure you know everybody's headache um, it really seemed to pin down uh, people's individual natures and their individual problems and I wanted to learn more about that because I it just made sense to me from the moment I heard the workshop it made sense so going to this one-week vacation with the Ayurveda conference, I went to every single workshop, listened to all the speakers, went to all of the, the satsangs um, with the chanting and meditation, and did yoga twice a day, even though once a day is plenty. <laughs> but at, you know, at that point in time, I kind of needed to do everything. And what was happening there is that I, I was... I didn't understand when they would talk about in yoga purifying the mind or purifying the body uh, because I felt like, what did I need purification for? I was perfectly fine, you know. Um, I was living a very successful, I had 
uh, a high paying job. I had lots of friends in the city there. I lived in downtown Chicago. I had a beautiful condominium that I was renting um, in a very high rent district of, of downtown Chicago. Um, I was plugged into Rotary and to, you know, a lot of different UN ambassadors. I was in a lot of different organizations. I had all kinds of people. I'd go out for drinks every day, you know, in the evenings with my friends and we'd go for dinner. And um, when I was in my job as the international trade director, you know, every night I was going to a different event and drinking a couple glasses of wine there too, or, you know, going to these fancy, very nice hotels. I've been in every single one of the nicest hotels in the Chicagoland area. Um, you know, all of those kinds of things seemed as though I had a, I was doing great. You know, I, from a Western perspective, I was doing really well. But as I started um, purifying a bit my own self, um, I started becoming a little more honest with myself as well. And one of the things, um, the main reason I wanted to do this study actually is because at the end of the week of the one week that I was there on vacation, I actually was able to calm down enough to be in Shavasana without wiggling around and without movement and without my mind going to 40. I had absolute peace and calm for moments not long periods of time, but for moments. And I hadn't experienced that in years of my life. Well, what I didn't realize that was also happening as I became more and more intrigued and was doing, had all this chanting that I was doing and meditation that I was doing, which I had never done any of those things at home at all, and was very hesitant about them. And actually, you know, almost left the ashram when I went because I was like, what is this? This is like mind wash, brainwashing, and, you know, I, I'm not going to be chanting to Krishna, you know, Hari, that's the Hare Krishnas who are in the airports, and, you know, so all of those kinds of things went through my mind. I explain them much, much better and more fully in the book, but um, I did experience this peacefulness, and I was starting to look at my life and myself a little bit more when I went home. And I decided I wanted to have more of that peacefulness for sure. And somehow or another, I was going to come back and do my yoga teacher training there. And I had been considering doing yoga teacher training at my other studio in the city. And somehow or another, a whole year of weekends sounded like too much for me to do. I couldn't give up my weekends. And so for a good six months, I had pondered doing yoga teacher training, and yet kept refusing. And right before I went on this trip, I had decided, okay, I filled out all my paperwork, I am going to go and do this yoga teacher training. But I didn't turn it in. Um, because I wanted to go on this trip first and see what this ashram was like, because they had teacher training that was 28 days immersion in the Bahamas. And I thought, whoa, this is like great stuff. So um, basically, <laughs> I ended up coming back thinking, I'm going back to the Bahamas. I want to do my yoga teacher training there. Something is going on there that's positive because I felt unlike I felt in just such a long time. And I want to understand or know more about it. So when I got home, um, and I explained more about that too, but the, the bottom line of it is I eventually decided that I would like to do a year 
in, um, in the Bahamas. And this whole plan came into my head to uh, contact one of the Ayurveda speakers, none of them who knew me, none of them knew me. Kathy also didn't know who I was. I was just one person sitting in, in an audience of, you know, hundreds of people. And he didn't know my email address. He didn't know anything about me. And yet I sent a, an email to his office. And um, the next morning I heard from him. I mean, this, this was meant to be, God put this right, right out and laid out the whole plan for me. Yeah. And, and what was fascinating for me is that you went from this amazingly successful career to an ashram. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And lived in a tent. Yeah, for a whole year and went through your trials and tribulations around that because it's not easy to live in a tent with all kinds of weather and bugs and everything else. And communal bathrooms. That was actually the hardest part for me because I wasn't close to the bathroom. I had to walk a ways to even go to the bathroom. And I was used to having the bathroom right attached to my bedroom, you know, Western style, nice living conditions. Yeah. Um, and also being in an ashram is, there's nothing luxurious about it, you know? I mean, no, not at all. Is the opposite of being in downtown Chicago, working a very high upper level management type of job. So that's quite a shock to uh, anybody's system on every level. So can you walk yeah. us through um, your journey or how you... How did you deal with all the challenges of being there for a whole year and giving up all of your material comforts? Um, well, it, I did it one step at a time. And basically, I think I needed that year-long study to keep me focused on what I wanted to achieve. And I didn't... I this. Well, this is an interesting study, at least to me. And I had thought, well, gee, people would want to read about this, or I would want to read about it if somebody did it, because I didn't have any result in mind at the end. Almost every study I've ever read about, they have, they're trying to prove something. So they start out, you know, they have an idea in their head as to how they can go about proving something, and then they, they show you how what they thought to begin with is true. Well, I didn't have a clue. I didn't have an idea of what was possible. I really didn't know. I had had moments of, you know, feeling calm and peaceful. And my, my digestion was better too because I was eating all vegetarian food. I also was, I mean, I was a meat and fish eater. I drank plenty of alcohol. I had coffee, like coffee was my ritual. I, I couldn't get up and get going in the morning without a really good strong cup of coffee every day. Um, and I had usually more than one. And I mean, all of these things that were, they actually, I found out they were clouding my judgment uh, of life an awful lot, but I didn't realize it at the time. And um, when I got to the ashram and, you know, this living in a tent, one of my, my favorite funny stories is that I was, I had never even camped. 
So not as a child, we never went camping. My parents were more like if they wanted to go on a vacation, it was at least a holiday inn. It wasn't high end, you know, but it was, it was a, uh, a hotel. And so at night, I couldn't figure out why I was having pools of water inside my tent. And you get up at 5.30 in the morning, it's dark because they have a bell that rings. Everybody's got to get up at 5.30 and six o'clock starts meditation. So you get up, it's pitch black, and I'd step in water as I'm trying to unzip the side of my tent to go to the bathroom to get started for the day. And I mean, this happened over and over, and I could not figure out for the life of me why my tent was getting water in it. Well, I didn't realize that there's a bottom zipper on the tent. I only thought there was a side zipper on the tent that you zipped around. I never saw the other zipper. It never dawned on me because I didn't set the thing up. So I didn't know. So it's needless to say, when it would be windy and the rain would come, there would be the water sitting at the pool at the bottom. So that's how... I mean, I had to learn all these basic kinds of things. Um, and, you know, I mean, day in and day out, I wasn't always the most happy camper either. Sometimes I was a little on the grouchy side. So, <laughs> and I document that when it was a struggle, when it was difficult, um, I just kept plowing through. But I started also realizing that some of the things that I had here, I had given up, I gave up all my furniture. Uh, and I gave up, I have 10 boxes of things like, you know, just like plastic, those big containers, but they're still just plastic boxes at my mom's house that I store and have some hanging clothes still to this day. Um, I had a car, or I had a nice place, I had, as I say, furniture, I had all sorts of things that I just, I gave them all up. And I was realizing the longer that I was at the ashram that I like didn't miss any of them. It, it didn't, it just didn't matter. I wasn't thinking and they weren't cluttering up my mind thinking or worrying about them because they were gone. Um, some of them I gave to my kids, some of them I sold, some of them I just donated. Um, and it actually was fine. Um, and the, the struggles of, of, you know, I had the hardest time really with the bathrooms and the, and bugs and things too. I was not used to brushing my teeth and having, you know, critters on, <laughs> on the mirror there and whatever, because it's all outside, you know, that's outside the sink. Yeah. So it was like, oh, it, it was really, but it was good for me. It was just so good for me because things that had scared me and things that seemed so important um, in my life before just started becoming, I started realizing some of them, they were just all fabricated in my own head. Um, and I, I, I really started focusing and enjoying more the interactions with people, the chanting. I loved, I came to love chanting. It's one of my very favorite things um, to do. And yet it was what almost sent me back home and um, what deterred me initially thinking that oh no I can't possibly do this yeah. but you feel differently inside after you chant it it touches your your soul and your heart and, purifying. and it's yeah it's purifying and the more you know things like for example um, and I talk about this extensively because my I have been on every diet known to man. So when you talk about me, that I am a typical Western person, oh, I am. Um, I, I, 
I was never heavy, heavy. I mean, except for when I was pregnant, I was, I had gained a lot of weight, but, um, but I always needed to lose 15, 20 pounds, always, you know, it was like up and down and some occasion would come, come up and then it'd be like, okay, I'd starve myself. And I did these up and down things all the time. So I'd starve myself for a week or 10 days or whatever, so that I'd look good in my dress and, and, and then the very day that I'd go to the event, I would eat and drink to my heart's content and reset it all over again to start doing the exact same thing I had done before. And, you know, I started paying attention to and actually admitting things like eating an entire half gallon of ice cream in, an, in a night, you know, on a weekend, because I had actually deprived myself during the week. And, you know, thought that I was doing something good by not eating too much during the week. So I always maintained a, a relatively, you know, healthy, fit looking um, body. But I had the physique, but I wasn't really healthy. Um, and same thing like with my coffee and all that, too. It, it, it was ridiculous. You know, my daughter-in-law, when she first met me and I made coffee for her, she said, oh my gosh, she said all she had to do was go by and smell the coffee and it would make her have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so it was like a laxative, you know? I mean, I drank, she called it nuclear strength coffee. And I did, you know, and I, it just, I, it's just what I did. Um, and it kept me going and kept me always being as high energy as I wanted to be and keeping the image that I wanted to have um, for people. And, and what I got from reading your book was that underneath all that was this beautiful, generous, tender heart that just wanted to be unmasked so you could and the world could experience you as the authentic expression that you are, but it was layered on top with all kinds of things from challenges related to work and your personal life, your divorce, all of which everyone faces. And that's why this book is so relatable. Thank and you, Aparna. Um, when we deprive ourselves of love and nurturance and, um, healthy experiences uh we can be really harsh towards ourselves and so one of the most beautiful things about ayurveda and reading your journey into ayurveda and from my own experience personally and with my own clients is to know that ayurveda is this very gentle feminine system and when we immerse ourselves into this gentle feminine system, we begin to nurture ourselves in a different way. Instead of constantly taking things out, we bring in new practices or new ways of being, new ways of feeling, new ways of eating and drinking that actually sustain us on a very deep, subtle level, which will naturally make us not crave the things that are so up and down. Like we were talking before we started the recording, you know, about the alcohol to numb and soften and the caffeine to up and give us this not very authentic energy and what kind of damage it can do to our nervous system and how mm -hmm. exhausting it can be. 
or even eating unhealthy foods to just sort of not maybe numb our emotional pain, but also to feel like I did something for myself. It's eating is such a primal experience for every human being. But when we walk into this path of Ayurveda, we find these very customized ways of practicing because we're all such unique beings and Ayurveda is very um, user-friendly as well as it's very unique to every human being. And very I want to tell everybody again about your book, um, What's Possible. That's the title of the book. It's on Amazon and Kindle. And this is a beautiful story of a woman who went on a one-year journey into yoga and Ayurveda and completely reset her body, mind, and heart. She spent a year at the ashram in a tent, <clears throat> excuse me, away from all of our typical Western comforts. And she went really deep into her experience as a woman, as a human being, and into her heart. So one of the things that I loved about your book, and I'll repeat this again, is how you wanted to like really unmask yourself, how you really wanted to go into the depths of your heart. So will you uh, share with us about learning about our emotional states and how our emotional body is actually a guidance system and how being in touch with our emotions is actually very powerfully healing for us. I would love to. Annapurna, thank you so much for seeing all that you saw from my book. It, it makes me feel great that, um, in fact, you could see under the layers um, that were hiding the light that is very strong within me. Um, yes, absolutely. I would say that the words that I used with um, Rukmini, who was my supervisor when I came to the to the ashram, and at that time I was their um, marketing director. Um, she, I asked her and said to her that I would really like to learn how to lead from the heart, because I had been leading all of my life from the mind. Um, a woman coming up. Um, in a very much male-dominated culture. I'm, I'm now 66 years old, so um, uh, I definitely came up in a time where there were not that many women in powerful positions, and women were expected to, um, or if they weren't expected to, in our own minds, we felt like we were expected to excel even more than men and be even stronger than men and to appear to not be the emotional um, or show the emotional sides of who we were. And so I was a tough boss. I was a really tough boss. I had very high expectations for myself. And so in turn, I had extremely high expectations for everyone around me. And I just knew that it, it didn't feel like it worked. Um, yes, we met deadlines. Yes, we always were under budget. Yes, we, you know, we met the goals that we were supposed to make, but 
somehow or another, it didn't feel as though they should be the right goals. Something was, something was just missing and felt wrong. So I wanted to learn how to bring more of my heart back into leading. And I, I, I knew it was there, but I didn't know how to use it because I, somehow or another, it felt as though if you were using your heart, oh, you were being in a, like an emotional, um, an uncontrolled emotional being. And I think that's the difference, some of what I've learned, because we can be very, bring our emotions in, but you can, you can have your emotions be, and not controlled, but balanced. Maybe that's a better word. Um, but an out of control emotional being, whether you're female or male, no, is not very good. It's not a very great site. It's not a very good for leadership. But touching within us um, to our heart helps us help others be the best that they can be. It really, it really does allow for others to shine as they, everyone wants to shine, but sometimes they can't shine if you, if you're, if your light doesn't allow them to shine and all you do is just have demands and expectations on people. Um, it, it's not really the best way to lead. And so I, I really set out trying to see how I could open up my heart more and learn how to lead from the heart. And it didn't come though directly from um, working with Rukmini, I can't say, because she's a pretty tough boss herself. <laughs> but it, it was less about, um, although she's heart, she definitely has a big heart, but it was more about that uh, taking away the layers with the chanting, with the meditation, with the yoga, with the, the pure foods. All of and then the interactions that I'd have with people, because I had learned from taking um, teacher training that you know, and from meditation that we need to observe ourselves as we you know react, observe our emotions, observe our mind, observe what are the signals in our body, and when you start doing those observations, you know, one of the first steps was to just catch yourself or catch myself after I reacted. So it wasn't a matter of that I was yet, it took me a long time and I'm still in the practice of not doing my automatic reaction so quickly like I might have done in the past and instead trying to slow down and look at, you know, wh how am I feeling? Why, why do I feel this way? Just taking a moment to step back, to take a breath in between. And I think the emotions that we have are, are absolutely beautiful and wonderful to bring in because they soften a bit the, the directives that we also need to put forth in order to progress. But um, it, it's a, it's a journey that too. It's a, process. Like I say, I'm five years into this, more than five years into this, and I'm, st I'm still practicing. It's not like it's something that is automatic all the time. I'm much better. I'm much slower um, or more balanced and more calm in my approach, whereas when I was imbalanced, um, 
I'd re I'd snap, I'd react, you know, if you didn't do what I asked you to do, my immediate reaction was, well, why didn't you? Um, instead of, you know, giving the, the opportunity to find out what was what was going on or to do it in a different approach in a different way, or to even before I even talked to the person to challenge why I needed it done at that time or for that reason. Was it really that important? <laughs> you know, did it have to be done on Monday or was it that big of a deal? Could it be done on Tuesday or Wednesday, you know? Um, so there were a, so many different things that I had to start observing and, and challenging myself about with regards to leadership. And in every step of the way, um, the emotional, soft, loving, open-hearted way um, was better. It, it felt better. I didn't second guess anything that I did when it came from my heart. When I came from my mind, I was forever second guessing. I was like, well, did I, is this the right thing to do or is that the right thing to do? But when it came from my heart, it always just felt right. And so I'd move forward with it. And I think it's, a, it's an, an interesting um, path kind of to lead to see what we feel like with the open heart. And, and I often give this example, it's not really in my book, but um, when I do workshops at the ashram, I sometimes talk about this, that I used to, you know, that analogy about a glass half full and a glass half empty. And it was always in the past, what I had learned is that if I was always someone who was a glass half full, which meant you were optimistic. You know, you always saw things through rose-colored glasses. And the person who saw the glasses half empty, they were kind of pessimistic. Well, now I use a completely different analogy with that half full glass and half empty glass. And that halfway mark is really, really important for all of us in terms of having our heart be open and giving from a place of open heart. When you have a full glass of anything, a fullness of anything, you lovingly give. And it feels good to give. You don't think twice about giving, you just give. And you can keep giving like that until you start getting down to about halfway. And when you start getting down to halfway, you start having resentment as you give. Because if the further it goes down the glass as you're emptying the glass, and mothers are notorious for this, as a mother myself of raising two children, I know. I would go all the way down with my glass practically empty because I thought I was supposed to always give, 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 give to my children. And the problem gets to be that you are bitter in the giving because there's self-preservation in there too. And you know you're no longer giving from a place of abundance. You're giving from a place of, of less. You have less. So you need to fill refill up your glass and keep it always at half full or more. And if you keep your glass at half full or more, that's how you can, that's how you can live from the heart. You can give from the heart. You can lead from the heart. You can do anything from the heart, but you, you also need to have some abundance within yourself in order to have that opening. And I grew up in a time where that was not considered a good thing. 
You know, women weren't supposed to be worried about giving to themselves. That meant you weren't giving to your children or giving to your husband or giving to your home. And I, I really feel very blessed and grateful to the ashram for that because I no longer feel guilty to give to myself and to have myself be healthy so that I can give fully and openly and freely. And it feels a thousand times different to give that way than it feels when you're so low um, and your glass is nearly empty. Um, so I encourage all, if any mothers are out there um, listening, I, I really encourage you to keep your glass half full or better because you'll be a better mother you'll be a better you, your children will just get overflowing love from you instead of it waning on you because you don't have enough for yourself. So to me, that's a big part of the key of, of bringing our emotions and our heart into everything, um, is making sure that we're, we're healthy and we're, we also are spiritually full. We're, um, our mental capacity, we're not feeding ourselves. I, I no longer watch all that violent movies. And I, I definitely, you know, I'm sorry, I used to like rap. And I used to like a lot of the, you know, the very current kinds of music and that, that most people my age didn't like. Well, it was just feeding me not great vibration for myself. And it was hard on my nervous system, hard on my immune system. You know, I really try to pay better attention to, you know, what I take in visually, what I take in, you know, auditorily, you know, what I take in, in any way um, through my senses, because that also helps keep me more balanced and, and healthier. And when I'm healthier, I'm happier, I'm more loving, my glass is way overflowing, and it feels great. And Thank you so much for sharing that because that's the experience we all want. We all want to feel abundant in our hearts. We want to feel good in our bodies. We want our relationships to be healthy and harmonious. And the bottom line is no one's going to do this for us. We get to do it for us if we choose it. Now, although Mary, your book, What's Possible?, is an incredible story of contrast. And contrast is a great way for us to learn. You went from Chicago suburbs to an ashram, from a beautiful condo in downtown Chicago to a tent by choice. You went from material gains to exploring spiritual gains. You went from, uh, let's say, poor Western lifestyle to learning about it creating an amazing lifestyle for your body, mind, and heart. You went from alcohol and coffee to get through the day to finding the fullness of your own heart. This is a story we can all relate to. While you may not go to an ashram like Mary for a year, when you read her story and when you find yourself in her story, and that's why stories are so great, and that's why I wanted to bring Mary to this podcast, is because our experience, we can relate to another person's experience and find ourselves in the story, and it's so inspiring and healing. So I'm going to encourage all of our readers to read your uh, listeners to read your book, but also to 
start exploring what they can do for themselves, what's possible for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mary, do you have any um, parting words for our listeners today? I would say it's absolutely possible in any environment. Um, it, it's not a matter of the, and I'm saying to anyone that you have to go to an ashram at all, not by any means. Um, and small steps, small steps are the best steps um, because if you can do small, consistent steps, whatever they may be, over and over and over again, that's what helps us to have something really make a difference. And when it makes a difference and you have success, you want to keep doing it. And when you feel different, you will want to not not only continue to feel the way you're feeling, but you'll want to feel even better. And it, it really is just one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. And, you know, if, if you really pay attention to what your heart wants, your heart wants the right thing for you all the time. And there are people, there are practitioners, there are people like Aparna um, who are out there. There are many wonderful Ayurveda doctors Um, I would encourage any of you to explore them. You'll find a completely different experience than you find in Western medicine. One of the things you won't find, um, so not to have the expectation, you won't find someone who's going to give you just a quick fix in, you know, and then send you back off home. That's not what Ayurveda medicine is about. And not that they cannot alleviate some of your your pain fairly quickly or alleviate if you're having some difficulties, yes, they can can, um, provide you with herbs or provide you with techniques of different things to do that can help alleviate the immediate need, whatever is the immediate need, but they will help you explore what actually is causing whatever is your your challenge your difficulty no matter what it is whether it's cancer whether it is um, hypertension there are so many people that are living today that have diabetes I mean we have uh, you can have high blood pressure so many different um, really long-term kinds of illnesses that we didn't have a lot of these um, many many years ago and our modern society has kind of encouraged and pushed the lifestyles that we have. And those lifestyles that we have actually do impact our health over time. And so if you have a chronic problem, I would highly encourage you to, um, to seek out a different and alternative approach to looking at things rather than just getting, putting another drug into your body and um, expecting it to mask the problem and for you maybe to have who knows how many side effects. That's another thing. When you work with Ayurveda, there aren't side effects. These are natural foods, natural herbs, things, they also different kinds of treatments. I love doing the Ayurveda body treatments, you know, where the oil treatments for the body. There's so many different um, types of 
of routes and, and different kinds of treatments that you can have that can be beneficial and that can make you have a an easier I don't drink coffee I haven't drank coffee now in more than six years and it's incredible I don't even want coffee I don't drink alcohol either and I could I mean I've been to weddings but there's I have no desire and I have not there's not a hangover I don't feel rotten the next day it's like it's amazing I actually sleep better through the night. Not every night, you know, it's, I'm not perfect. I'm still working on it. I was 61 years of going in one direction. Like KP Kalsa said, it was like moving the Titanic with me because, you know, I, I, was, a, I was a pretty long time ship going in one direction. So it's not going to happen overnight. But the change, I'm 66 and I am more flexible. I am stronger. I feel better. I'm not supposed to feel any of those things if I'm in, according to Western medicine, from the time I started this in 61, I should have been declining every single year. Everything should be getting worse with me. And it's not, and it's not necessary. And does that mean I don't think I'm going to die? Of course I'm going to die and that's perfectly fine. But I want to enjoy the way that I live my life. I want to be able to move freely and play with my grandchildren and, you know, have, have a life that is full and, and not so stressed out all the time. And so I, I would just, I'd encourage you to read the book and hope that it maybe is a bit of inspiration just to, to look at ways that you can, and can change. Um, even just a few things will make a huge difference for you. And those few things then sometimes lead into more things. You never know. Um, but Thank you, Mary. I will be posting the link to the book on Amazon as well as Mary's website in the show notes. So don't worry uh, to our listeners. You will find her information in the show notes. Um, Mary will be coming back for another episode where she's going to lead us in yoga nidra to really feel into our emotional body. And I won't go into it now, but I'm delighted to have her back. For another episode of Ayurveda for Women, uh, season five of the Heal and Awaken podcast. Mary Padmavati, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your wisdom, your experience, your stories. And um, I'm so blessed and delighted to have met you. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners as well. Thank you.